Hey, Whiskey Ringers, welcome to a brand new intro. First off, there are still a few bottles of our barrel single barrel rye finished in Armagnac casks, picked in partnership with This Is My Bourbon podcast. Check out the show notes for links to purchase. Second, I am thrilled to announce that I've joined the Bar Cart Co-op. This group of podcasts and shows has a show or multiple for everyone. I'll talk more about them in the mid-roll. Finally, there are still two $25 spots available on Patreon. These are the last two spots that will ever be open on that tier, so if you've been putting it off, grab your spot today. There are also spots available at the $15 a month level if you want to support, but can't quite commit to that $25 tier just yet. There's a spot in supporting for everyone's budget, and I truly thank you all for making this podcast possible. Hey folks, welcome to a new episode of the Whiskering Podcast. Today, we are going over again to the what do you say, Midwest, North Midwest. I always get people yelling at me in either way in that, but we're talking to Christy Lauer of Highline Spirits out of Ann Arbor, Dexter, Michigan. And mm-hmm. Christy, welcome on. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. So I want to start off right away with uh, with the name, Highline Spirits. So it's somewhere we had an unexpected connection and comes from the Highline Trail on Glacier National Park. So let uh, me start off with where the name come from. Yeah. So when we started looking at naming the company, it was really hard. It was really hard, one, to find something that wasn't taken through the trademarks. But secondly, it was really hard because we wanted a name that really captured everything that we were striving for in the business. And um, as we continued to talk about it, we were traveling with our family and we were traveling with our kids. We, meaning my husband and I, um, we were traveling with our kids and we wound up hiking on the Highline Trail. And the Highline Trail encompasses everything that we are striving for, everything we recognize, everything that we want out of our brand. It is inspirational. The big sky is awe-inspiring. When you go down this trail, it's a bucket list trail for people who don't know. It's it's about 15, it's a little over 15 miles long. It's a it is a long technical trail and it is hard. It is not easy. Um, but every time you turn a corner, there's something amazing and there's something awe-inspiring and there's something wonderful about that trail as you're trudging through difficulties or you're cresting something and you're really proud of yourself. And so that's really where the name stuck. We wanted the brand to also build that, um, build that in the community that we hope to build through Highline, through people who we welcome into our, our spirits. Um, that's what we really wanted. And so, yeah, it's a, it's an amazing place. And this is somewhere I got to, uh, I hiked it a little earlier than you just this was back in 2008 for me, but um, mm-hmm. it really is just stunning. It goes a little along the going to the Sun Road in Glacier, which is in mm-hmm. itself a real experience for for driving. Beginner drivers not even allowed, let alone suggested. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's fairly scary drive, and uh, it is a feat of engineering for sure. It is yes. incredible. The engineering yeah. is amazing. I think it was one of those Depression era, you know, public works projects that they got through. Yeah. Uh, and it, it really is amazing. It's open for maybe three months a year because the rest is all snowed mm-hmm. in or iced in. Uh, and yeah. it's, it's just incredible. And the fun part for, for me of both the road and the trail is it's 
cut into the side of the mountain. So it's 3000 mm-hmm. feet down, 3000 feet up, maybe, you know, just wide enough for the trail at least is just wide enough for two people to pass by. And it is two way traffic. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So yep. you see people going in both directions and every time someone would approach from the other direction, you're kind of wondering, is there enough space for us to go by or is someone going <laughs> to yeah. just start rolling? And um, which makes it a little exciting too. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's exciting for the grownups and, but as yeah. I took my kids on the hike and my kids were, gosh, how old were they at the time? My youngest was eight. So they were eight, nine, 11, and 13 when I took them on the trail and they were experienced hikers. We had hiked all over, but I kept telling them, if people come at you, you push yourself up against the side of the mountain and then let the adults go on the, you know, past you don't try. And so, so every time they would see, it was like, they were some sort of like burglar or something. Every time they would see someone coming at them, they would just like slam themselves up against the mountain wall. It was it was fantastic. It was a real it was a really great experience. I love it. It's been 15 years, and I I really want to go back. It's my, probably my favorite national park overall, and definitely my favorite yeah. like green national park. Yeah. What is your favorite not green national park? Probably Bryce. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Probably Bryce. Bryce or, is so cool. Yeah. Maybe this would be another one. It feels cliche to say the Grand Canyon, but the North Rim of the Grand Canyon. So, oh, I have not been. I have not been to the North Rim of the Grand Canyon. That one's fun because there's one hotel. There's only one place to stay on the North Rim, whereas the South Rim is this whole complex, like Mini Vegas. Oh now. yeah. And yeah, the South Rim is desert. The North Rim is in the middle of the Kaibab Forest, so it's all it's forest. Oh, cool. It's green and lush. Uh, yeah. There's one hotel. You immediately think of The Shining. They tell you, the staff is trained to tell you, <laughs> don't think of The Shining and don't mention it. Um, it's oh my 12, gosh. 12 miles in from the nearest main road. So like, oh, you've got yeah. a little while to go. But it's also yeah. so secluded and gorgeous. And you get this different view that everyone mostly sees it from either the air or from the South Rim. Mm-hmm. So it, it's it's quite different. It's definitely worth the trip if you're not worried about, you know, like two little girls in a hallway kind of thing. So <laughs> yeah, that's on the list. That's certainly on the list. I've been to the South Rim and I hiked um before my husband and I had kids. We hiked rim to river and back when we were much younger. Hiked rim to river and back and it was incredible. It was absolutely incredible. I won't go on the skywalk though. That that makes me too nervous. I don't know if I will either. I don't know. You you'd yeah. think that the end I mean everybody's out there. But yeah, I agree. And there's too many people. There's just too many people out there. Yeah, agreed. Mm-hmm. agreed. Uh, so your background is, let's say, non-traditional mm-hmm. for whiskey production. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I should note, we're saying whiskey production for now because we've got four whiskey skews, but mm-hmm. there are plans for other spirits. So we have a question about that later. But for the most part, I'm going to refer to whiskey for this particular uh, interview um mm-hmm. so yeah not non-traditional for the whiskey market background in uh, pediatric medical care and mm-hmm. there are some some skills that cross over of course but you started thinking about the industry about learning about the industry 
over 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And right. what did that early education look like? Uh, it was, well, first I was, I learned about the industry, like you said, a little over 10 years ago when I went to a wedding in Kentucky. And so that was really eye opening to me because in Michigan, as a control state, we have, we have visibility into the whiskey market, but it's not as, as broad, obviously, as, as some other open states. Um, and so I really didn't have a good understanding of the complexity and the science behind the spirit. Um, and, and going to that wedding over 10 years ago in Kentucky, talking to a bourbon steward, um, tasting through different types of spirits, it's different types of whiskeys. It was very intriguing to me. So the science behind it is really what drew me in. I am a very big nerd. I, I practice pediatric surgical critical care. I the, My favorite parts were managing acid-based balance. Um, and so it was very, very interesting to me, but it was very difficult to get information. I was reading textbooks from Scotland. I was reading um, blogs on people just surmising as to what was happening as opposed to open conversation. And so it was difficult really to get information initially, but I knew that the information was there. And so I just kept going, just kept going. With the preference for acid base balancing, do you have a preference today for sweet or sour mash? I I am up, I have a preference for sour. I okay. do. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, yeah. I do too. I frankly. do. I, I yeah. I do. I mean, I am I am very interested in the sweet mash and managing it and the very intricacies of not having it roll over as in the sour mash. Um, but I do. I do. Classic. Yeah, same. Mm-hmm. That's right. So you're you go to the wedding in Kentucky, you've you get the first exposure mm-hmm. to this industry, to the to whiskey more more generally. And mm-hmm. you start reading the textbook from Scotland and getting all of this, but at what time did the idea for a business come to be? Or what what was the first moment that it started? Yeah. So I, um, I never, honestly, I never really thought I would leave medicine early on. I never thought that I loved my job. I love practicing medicine. It's still a passion of mine. It's still an interest of mine. Um, but I got very burnt out in medicine and, um, I ended up, I stopped working right before the pandemic it was a combination of things, the intensity of the job, the intensity of the patient population. And I, I thought I would just take a break. And um, when I stopped working, it was late 2019, right before the pandemic hit. And I was in the midst, after the pandemic hit, I have four kids. I was educating them at home through virtual school. I was managing all of, you know, second grade math and making sure people stayed on their social studies class and and talking about all of that. And I went from a very complex environment in medicine in an academic environment at Michigan Medicine. I was learning something new every day to second grade math. And so my brain was looking for something more. And I, 
I went back to the pageant. I went back to looking at the science of distillation and looking at whiskey and looking at maturation and reading barrel books and really trying to stimulate all of those parts of my brain in order to re-engage my curiosity. And through that, we started looking at the industry from a business perspective, from following a passion, following a passion that turns into a business. And we really, and I would say we again, my husband and I, we really looked at uh, the viability of following this passion, following this curiosity and interest and turning it into something bigger and something more. And so that's really what clicked and that's really what changed is, is we decided to jump in with two feet and um, really follow the passion there. Do it. And I'd love to know if you kept the, uh, did you keep a reading list of what you've had read over those years? I, I haven't. No. Okay. <laughs> I'm always fascinated I by know. people's reading lists it, on those. Yeah. No, I haven't. I, I should, I should, because people ask me all the time and I'm like, Oh, it's the one with the yellow cover. Oh, it's, you know, and so that's, you know, reading these, cause I was reading them for fun. It wasn't, it wasn't for a deep dive at that point. It was, it was just for fun, mm-hmm. which is very dorky, but. No, I mean, I, I certainly uh, associate with that. So that's fine with me. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of us do. A lot of us in the in the whiskey, a lot of us in distillation, a lot of us do. Yeah, and I'm so glad for that. Believe me, I I like the dorkiness. Mm-hmm. I like the talk about the chemistry. And I mean, as you're saying, with with being in medicine and then going over to blending, I know you're mm-hmm. not distilling right now, but just still the mm-hmm. science of distillation, blending, understanding all that. You've got chemistry, science, methodology, regulation. These are all things that go for both industries as disparate as they might seem mm-hmm. at first. So they're still applicable across the spectrum. Oh yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so towards the uh, more recent side of the, of your kind of whiskey education, if you will, uh, you mm-hmm. got a distilled master's management certificate. I did. And yeah. I'm, I'm honest. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm forgetting or I'm not reading it right, but I'm not sure I've heard of that, uh, that particular certification before um can you tell us a little bit more about that yeah so um it's through the university of louisville it's a distillery management certificate and it's put together through their mba program and so if you have a bachelor's degree in whatever you can apply to this um to the master classes from the university of louisville when i took it i took it still during the height of the pandemic and um it was all virtual for for me And it was excellent. Going from medicine into business, into distillation, into distillery management, I really, in medicine, you don't, you have finite protocols of what you're doing and where you're going. And when I was looking at starting this business, I said, I need more information. This isn't just something that I'm going to go like, Live on the seat of my pants and figure out as we go. I wanted to make sure that I had additional background knowledge. The industry is highly regulated. 
um, sorting through something individually on my own, I think would have been very difficult. Um, I practicing medicine, I didn't have a whole lot of exposure to marketing or to um, the supply chain management. I understood supply chain because I needed stuff when I practiced medicine and I understood supply chain, but I didn't understand the bullwhip effect. I didn't understand these higher level supply chain things. And as far as marketing went, I, you know, for medicine, either you needed your appendix out or you didn't, right? There wasn't any, and, and I was there, I was there to provide services. I was there to provide services for the babies that came out that needed help. Um, and so marketing wasn't really on my radar. So the university of Louisville has a really great program with, with, historical industry CMOs, regulatory officers at Brown Foreman at large companies who have this program that they put together with the nitty gritty basics that you need. Um, I think it's a, I want to say seven classes and the online portion is accelerated. So I went back to, I went back and, and did that concurrent with starting the business, which was really, really helpful from a regulatory perspective, understanding the TTB, understanding the different states. Under, and then we had students from all over the country who were investigating their own state and bringing the regulatory information back. I know Michigan, but I don't know New Jersey. I don't know North Carolina. I don't know Georgia, right? And all of those four states have significantly different regulatory and distribution rules. So that was really, really helpful. And it was a great program. I recommend it to anybody who's switching from career into distillery management of any kind. I thought it was great. Uh, and I'm not sponsored. That was not a plug. No, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's uh, not a plug. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, mm -hmm. Not quite at the point of switching careers, but you know, down the road, we'll see where it goes. But uh, I might have to take that just for, I, hate, I hesitate to say just for fun, but it would be fun. It's, it. I mean, I think that, um, like I said, I had a whole hawk change. I had a whole hawk change from practicing medicine and writing prescriptions and managing ventilators and managing um, ECMO, if anybody who listens to this understands what that is. Um, but like I said, I had no visibility into marketing and regulatory management or anything. And so I needed that. that and so I've talked to people who have been in the industry and are getting their MBA through the University of Louisville who option for that certificate, for that distinction in, through their program. And they, they some of the classes they find more helpful than others. And some of them, they're like, yeah, that's stuff I already knew. So look into it for yourself. But, um, but it may be things that you are already very well aware of coming from the background that you come from. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. That just means I have to do a little less homework. That's not not, not that's, that's not true. necessarily a bad that's thing. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That is true. Uh -huh. So uh, you know, as you said, Michigan is a uh, uh, control state, so it's a little different than some of the other states. Mm -hmm. um, New York, I'll say, kind of acts like a control state sometimes, but it's <laughs> it's more. I don't know. It's either control state or wild west. It's it can definitely feel like both at times. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think it depends you know, on how close you pay attention to the rules. Yes. Right. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, for anyone listening, Jersey is a lot easier to get things in and out of. So 
you know, do it with stores in Jersey instead. Um, but you know, being in Michigan, in Michigan, and this is somewhere where you've, you know, you have a personal connection to Michigan. You've, you went to, to high school in Dexter and this isn't a deep dive. This is mm -hmm. on the website. So I'm not like, yeah, <clears throat> there's no stocking involved here. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, this is where you went to, to high school, where you've raised your family, uh, now where mm -hmm. there's a tasting room as part of Heinlein. Mm -hmm. Um, so Michigan, despite being a control state has, has a pretty rich distilling history, both pre-prohibition yeah. and also with many distilleries now coming online in, in the last 10, 15 mm -hmm. years, uh, yeah. because you've, you've been there for a while and whether or not mm -hmm. it was front of mind, you've kind of seen them grow up around you in a way, mm -hmm. uh, where do you see Highline fitting into the Michigan distilling and producing scene? Well, Michigan, you're right. Michigan is a um, great hub for distillation. We got our start and legislatively have gotten kind of propelled forward. I, I'd like to give credit to the craft beer industry. Um, there is a significant number of craft brewers in Michigan um, that have championed a lot of the distillation regulatory uh, advancements. And so that is really the visibility into what I saw before before I started really getting into the nitty gritty and looking at what was going on in spirits. Um, there are a fair number of craft spirit producers who are coming online in Michigan. And I think that the way that Highline fits into that is we are taking a slightly different approach. Um, we are taking a slightly different approach in transparency in um, the individuals that we're looking to welcome into our community um, and really bringing a different look at, at the consumer. Because by and large, most of the distillers in the spirit space um, are men, um, which is historically consistent across the United States, really. That's not anything unique to Michigan. But as a woman, I'm bringing something slightly different to craft spirits and we'll get to this in a second but your whole team mm -hmm. uh yeah. perhaps except your except your husband is except my husband. Team. He's, he's the back-end muscle <laughs> that's it. he's the support person he's the back-end muscle so that is that is helpful but yeah my whole team my whole team is women and and that wasn't i didn't go out and say, I'm only hiring women because I want to make sure that we're hiring the best person for the job. Um, and I just, that's who I found is the best person for the job within our company right now are these women. Yeah, and we'll get to uh, both the Kates in just yeah, a little bit. Yeah, both the Kates. Yeah. So it's a couple of different ways I can go from here. Mm -hmm. Let's go back to the to the to your to saying that you know in in medicine you didn't have exposure to marketing and branding and yeah. things like that. So your uh, your spirits and Highline in general as a brand are imbued with symbolism mm -hmm. everywhere. Yeah, uh, you know people should go to the website they can see uh, or on the bottles like there's the hair on the rye there's that's H A R E on the rye um, the Griffin yeah. on the Strike Kentucky whiskey. Uh, mm -hmm. and also when speaking of regionality, the owl, uh, representing 
the blending being brilliant. You know, you think of the owl, Athena, mm -hmm. wisdom. I'm kind of a mythology mm -hmm. geek, so you know, comes to me. Yeah. Um, so, uh, looking at that symbolism, I wanted to take one step back from that and say, where did you look for inspiration when designing the brand and perception of that brand? Mm -hmm. Um, I I really, really wholeheartedly believe, and this is across medicine, this is across spirit, this is across just life in general, that the convergence of different cultures and the convergence of different crafts really create something that is awe-inspiring and greater. I think that two heads are greater than one. I think that we really, as individuals, this is, we shouldn't be drinking our own Kool-Aid. I think that we should be getting other people's opinions and thoughts. Um, I can I can have a excellent excellent palate, and I can have an opinion on what what something should taste like. But if you know, fifteen other people are like, yeah, that's way too sweet, or that is oh, you know, that is I. It is better that we come together and talk about those things. And so the idea behind the brand was making sure that not only was the convergence of different cultures and terroirs and um, spirit come together and make something greater than the sum of its parts, but the ideas that we have as individuals are also creating that in the brand. And so top to bottom, we talk about what's in our bottles. We talk as much as we can. Um, we talk about what's in our bottles. We talk to people and ask their opinions and and take different ideas in building the brand and building the business and building the spirit. Um, I just think that's greater than, you know, making something greater than the sum of its parts. And with that, we come to the Chimera, uh, yeah. which is, it's prominently featured and notably in mythology, Chimeras are always female. Uh, oh, that I did not know. That is something that I did not know. Yep, they're always female, and then the their kind of counterpart, the manticores are always male. Um, so okay, that yeah. So um, but the uh, so the design of your chimera, you know, normally it's the lion head. There's a goat head somewhere, part, body of a goat, and then serpent tail. Um, the design isn't quite what I call classic, like classic Greek. It's more looks more like a bear's head. Um, the goat mm -hmm. head is kind of missing in, in favor of a um, the wing taking precedence. Uh, I'm curious, was that design more to represent, you know, you're, you're more likely to see a bear than a lion in <laughs> Michigan? Um, yeah. So, so was that all the spirits that? have, yeah, so all the spirits have, it, so the idea was born on blending individual animals that inspire awe. So the um, grizzly bear has eagle wings. Um, that is our master brand icon. Um, and that is something that is on every bottle. It is on our limited releases and um, our high-end, limited release high-end products. Um, and it is symbolism of the company as blending two awe-inspiring animals. If you see a grizzly bear, you either slowly back up but you watch that thing or you're you're in a car or you're driving around and you see this bear, right? And it's awe-inspiring and you stop. If you see an eagle, at least, I mean, eagles don't, aren't super, bald eagles aren't super prominent in Michigan where I live, so I do not see them often. 
I think somebody maybe from the Pacific Northwest would be like, meh. But if I see a bald eagle or any American really sees a bald, bald eagle, we're going to stop and we're going to look at that. And so that's what I want to do with the spirit. I want the, you know, I want somebody to stop and look and wait and experience the awe and experience the moment, either individually celebrating something or with friends enjoying something really unique and exciting. Um, and so that's the idea behind the chimeras. Um, you get into the owl um, and it's the wise owl, and it, but it's, it's somewhat migratory. And so it's not, you know, bourbon is an American moniker. It is not isolated to an individual location. And so a lot of the animals on all of our different spirits and all of our different hues have a nod to you know what's going on with that spirit the rye is a fox and a hare and so i you know i look at it a hare again h-a-r-e um but the fox and the hare are you you do stop and you're like oh look at the bunny the cute little bunny um and the clever bunny and then the sly fox if you see a fox you look at it um and those are both that's on our rye bottle and those are both animals that are in grassland so, um, and more, more of like a rye type field. So that, that is, you know, where all of it came from. Blending it all back to the brand. And they're, they're cool looking, I think. You know, they're fun. They're exciting. They don't look, my, the labels don't look like anything, I don't think, on the market. No, they, they definitely look different. And uh, as someone who regularly, you know, goes into a liquor, goes into random liquor stores looking for something and just constantly looking over the shelves, it is a little different. It's not mm-hmm. automatically. I mean, the rye does have a, a green-ish label, but I mean, as almost every rye does. But it's, uh, mm-hmm. but it's different. It's broken up. It's two-toned, plus mm-hmm. uh, the symbol on there. So it does things do stand out a little bit more, and just mm-hmm. a bolder, bolder title line. Let's say, uh, make mm-hmm. it stand out as well, and. I want so going off of that, one of your bylines, blending is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, I, I saw that, and it for me was very reminiscent of Barrel, uh, Barrelcraft Spirits. Mm-hmm. So another brand I'm I'm very fond of, uh, famously also mm-hmm. a blending house that they've committed yeah. publicly, like we're never going to be a distillery, we're never going to have a still in there, like that's mm-hmm. that's not what we do. Um, so it reminded me of that in a good way in the sense of mm-hmm. bringing blending to the fore, re, uh, reinvigorating blending as a positive term in American whiskey, yeah. which I think it is finally mm-hmm. getting to that point again. Mm-hmm. Um, but just to ask, do you ever foresee adding a still? You know, that is, that's a hard question because I, because I'm a scientist. I, I really, I've distilled on a chemistry bench in college. I, I am, I love the chemistry behind the distillation. Um, I don't ever want to say never, right? I feel like there are so many opportunities to learn and live and change. I, I mean, good grief. Five years ago, I was, you know, in an operating room. So in an, in an ICU. So I never want to say never, but I don't see it for right now. Um, I think there are so many opportunities to take 
excellent, excellent award-winning liquid, um, bring it together from different locations all over the country and, and slow proof it and barrel mature it and put it into different types of casts and create something that is already really, really good and then make it greater than the sum of its parts. And so right now that is what my primary focus is, but I never want to box myself in into a myopic view of never say never because who knew I, who knew I would be sitting where I'm sitting right now. Um, I just don't think that we're too new to say never say never, right? But for right okay. now, I, I we are really looking at there's there's fantastic liquid coming from all over the country. There's phenomenal, you know, phenomenal things happening in New York and excellent things happening in Texas and in Washington and Colorado. And so I really think that obviously and Appalachia in North Carolina and Tennessee, Kentucky and, and Indiana, even in Indiana. Um it's it's just right now finding a way to marry those terroirs and making something unique is really what I'm focused on right now. When in between the space where you uh, had the idea for the business and you've decided, okay, we're going to do this. And when it, let's say officially started, uh, what did that research and development look like? Were you, I know it was during the pandemic, so this might've been a little difficult, but were you able to kind of do a tour, visit a bunch of different blending houses, distilleries and such? And and mm-hmm. if so, where, what kind of places did you visit and where do you get inspiration from? Um, we, when we decided to jump in, I started the um, distillery management certificate program in the fall of 2021 and then in the in December of 2021 I attended the ACSA conference and they had a new distiller certificate or new not certificate but new distiller class um somebody who's like completely brand new and so that is really when I started so I starting to tour I was touring things before because I was, I mean, back before the pandemic hit, we were touring because we were enthusiasts. So we were going around and touring different places, primarily in Kentucky, because that's where we could go, um, that had the tourism, that had the availability for a layperson to be able to get back and see what they wanted you to see. Um, But so we had that experience. And then we met a bunch of distillers at ACSA when we decided to full force go forward. And so we had an opportunity just to talk to people, to go to, um, uh, you know, go to a place in Northern Michigan, go to a place in Colorado, go to a, talk to somebody in Northern Minnesota. Um, and, you don't always have to visit necessarily to gain inspiration and talk to people and see what they're doing. Right. Um, I think that because, because we couldn't, we couldn't just like go to the Canadian border and chat with somebody all that, you know, all the time, it's just not, you know, feasibly possible, but I love listening to people about where their passions lie, um, how they converge with, 
my passion, how they converge with what I think is exciting and upcoming, what I think is is fun to investigate, but maybe tastes terrible that people, you know, I, I love talking about all the things. And so that's really where the inspiration comes in. And I also like to look at from getting inspired on blending, I like to look at food. I like to look at how flavors combine. I like to listen to what's happening in in Michelin reports. Um, you know, I like to talk to people who are doing farm to table um, and really see where the trends are going and, and what is exciting. So drawing influence from all of those different spaces. And it's the last step from, from a business perspective that I think of is surveying your, your market and figuring out where is there a space for me in that market? As we know that this mm -hmm. shelves are pretty stocked at this point, there's 20, almost 3000 distillers uh, in the U S and mm -hmm. uh, so it's, it can be a challenge in and of itself just to get on the shelf, yeah. to get in people's viewpoints. Uh, so uh, did you, do any kind of market analysis to figure out like, okay, where is the space or where, what's the best angle for me to market Highline so that we can enter this, mm -hmm. the market and have a space? Yeah, we did. It is, I mean, again, coming into business, when you listen to all of these entrepreneurs talk or all of these um, seasoned executive talk, they say, what, what makes something successful is something that is not there. Right. And so, yes, it is very, very concerning to me that we are entering into a space with 3,000 other SKUs, business, not SKUs, but businesses um, that are going after the same market share. Um, but I think a few things differentiate Highline from what else is out there. Yes, we are a blending house. We are a finishing, a special finishing house. Um, we are similar to Barrelcraft. There's not very many other people that are transparently similar. There's a lot of people that are doing it, but they're just not saying that they're doing it. Um, that are transparently similar to Barrelcraft. Um, but I think that there is room in the market for Highline, and we are slightly different in, and I don't want to say that it's exclusively me, but it is, it is, I don't want it, to, it, it, it's, it's, we're targeting me. We're targeting whiskey drinkers who are not typically marketed to, who open the category. Um, whiskey has been, and, and I've felt this going into a restaurant and ordering a neat dram and it getting served to the male at the table, regardless of who that, you know, my husband or a friend, um, it's never given to me the ability to go into a tasting room and not feel overwhelmed by the inaccessibility and and not being able to approach the spirit as a woman or as a person of color or as a person who's never had whiskey before um i think that that is where we lie we lie in being investigate investigatory in the spirit um people are curious about trying us People are, they feel welcome um, by the way that we put out our brand. Um, I really want it to be a spirit, our, our brand and our spirits, I really want to be approachable. I want people to feel welcome in trying it. I want people to feel welcome in the tasting. I'm sitting in my tasting room now, so David can see it, but 
I'm, I want people to come in and say, yeah, I really like that. Or yeah, I really don't. Um, I want people to feel comfortable in saying that. So yeah, we did a lot of market research and we can, we still move forward based on the fact that we hope to be able to bring something that is more welcoming to people who are in the community of whiskey and people who have not tried whiskey before. Um, and that is a lot of our customers as they come into, we have a tasting room in Dexter. We're opening another one in Michigan. Um, I really hope that when people come in, they come in saying, you know, I'm not really a whiskey drinker, but I'm willing to try. And then we open a whole world of curiosity for them. So the next question I'll ask, I'll continue down that, that vein is in uh, several interviews, you, you've, you referenced the changing demographic of the mm-hmm. American consumer. Mm-hmm. And you reference it a little bit now as, as part of your market research to figure out, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there are on a, on a grand scale, there are more women drinking, more women drinking meat, mm-hmm. more people of color drinking uh, or being recognized. They uh, These mm-hmm. groups were always drinking, but also just being recognized right. as targeting consumers. Um, mm-hmm. What, you kind of answered this already, but I'll, I'll ask anyway, but what, what sure. trends are you following most? And um, have there been any trends that have come up that kind of ran counter to your expectations? I do. I, I mean, there is an increase in, so a couple trends, a couple of trends that I'm following. And one that we all already know is people, the, the younger whiskey consumer is interested in something slightly different, something unique, one-off something that is a limited release or a special product. Um, That is one trend that I am following. um, And I am also part of, I am excited about the new different things. I'm excited about the new blends and the new finishes and the new grains and the the different techniques. Um, And so while I'm not a hunter, I don't go hunt for things. I don't buy secondary. but I do, I am very interested, and I think there is a very big trend on people who are not settling um, for the standard and status quo. Um, those individuals are also drinking higher quality. And so that is another trend that I, I am watching, just in general, from a business perspective. Um, and I do see more women in the space. There have always been women. There have always been um change makers who were women, but never really recognized um, in mass. And so it is a changing demographic in that there are women who drink whiskey and they do want to be recognized as experienced whiskey drinkers, curious whiskey drinkers, and authorities associated with, with the spirit. And so it comes to making sure that from a top-down brand, I want to make sure that we're transparent in our leadership, we're transparent in our marketing, we're transparent in in creating marketing to welcome all of those different demographics into the space. Um, And there are, I mean, large companies are doing this. Um, Moet Hennessy is doing this, LVMH is doing this. 
they are broadening their marketing reach to allow for inclusivity. And, and we are too. And we're making sure that, that people know that they can come get an excellent whiskey, um, an excellent dram, poured meat. If you want it neat, drink it however you want to drink it. But um, that everybody is welcome. Everybody is welcome. Um, that we would expect to be drinking whiskey and people we wouldn't expect to be drinking whiskey as long as you're of legal age. But, you know, that that is really and i'm and i do see that as a trend and i hope it's from the big guys i hope it's just not lip service um i hope that it's followed through on and that that we can create more experiences for all types of people to enjoy this complex fantastic spirit that is that is really what i hope the Bar Cart Co-op is a group of five shows with something for everyone. First up is My Whiskey Den, hosted by Mike Lisak, Pat Bologna, and Mitch Weddle. Listen and watch live on Mondays at 9 for thoughts and discussions on craft spirits and, once in a while, some downright odd things. And yes, I'm talking about the cantaloupe liqueur that I can't believe could be good, yet I gotta admit, it's fantastic. Next up is Bourbon Turntable, hosted by Kevin Rose and Drew Crawley. Kevin and Drew are true lovers of both music and bourbon, and I got to join them to talk about my own whiskey and music journey back in March. It's still one of my favorite episodes I've ever been a part of, and it's a show that I listen to every single week. The next two are from a guy you may have heard of. After all, he's a two-time guest on the Whiskey Ring podcast. Mr. Alan Bishop, head alchemist at Spirits of French Lick and self-proclaimed reviver of the history of Indiana's Black Forest. Alan has two shows in the co-op both of which are also weekly listens for me. The first one is Distiller's Talk with co-host Christy Atkinson. It's probably the nerdiest spirits podcast I know of, and that's including my own, and I absolutely love it. Some weeks you'll be talking capturing wild yeast in long-gone ghost distilleries in the Black Forest region. Others you'll be hearing from some of the most exciting up-and-comers in the distilling, brewing, and overall spirits-producing industry. Most of these distilleries he's gone, I've never even heard of before the episode, but after listening... All I want to do is find out more and explore new ways of looking at spirits and all the nerdy stuff that I love about this industry. And last but certainly not least is Alan's other podcast, If You Have Ghosts, You Have Everything. Exploring the paranormal side of Hoosier-occupied Kentucky, Alan intertwines his own experiences with stories about neighbors, colleagues, and local legends, and why you should never go into the forest alone at night. Part scary story part homage to the rich history of Southern Indiana, this show comes straight from Alan's heart and soul. Take a listen or watch to any of these amazing shows, and thank you to the Bar Cart Co-op community for welcoming me. Join the community on Facebook, follow on Instagram and YouTube, and you'll have another show for every day of the week. This month's Impact Spotlight is on Nickneen. Founded by Annabelle Thomas, Nickneen has a pioneering approach to spirit making, putting innovation and sustainability at the forefront. Through Nickneen, Annabelle seeks to change the way the world thinks about whiskey from Scotland and to create a whiskey which could exist in harmony with our planet and its inhabitants. Nickneen has created a spirit with exceptional body and sweetness, showcasing their smooth and elegant house style. This is achieved through a combination of sourcing high-quality organic Scottish barley, gentle fermentation and distillation processes, and maturation in a combination of three carefully selected cask types. Ex-American whiskey casks, STR, shaved, toasted, and recharred casks, 
that held red wine, and a small amount of Oloroso sherry casks. The result is flavors of lemon sherbet, juicy stone fruits, and spiced rye bread. This whiskey is set to disrupt the industry through Nicknean's commitment to sustainability and creative approach to distilling. With an uncompromising focus, the small team of eco-conscious drinks fanatics also dedicate 10% of their spirit production to trialing different yeasts not commonly found in whiskey distilling, all on their journey to seek out and find new flavors in their whiskey making. If you're a longtime listener, you know how interested I am in whiskeys and distilleries like this, and how excited I am that Impex is now bringing it stateside. Annabelle will be visiting Chicago for Whiskey and Barrel Night on October 25th, and will be hosting special masterclasses featuring the key components of Nicknean, along with their core organic single malts. These tastings will also include a sneak peek of Quiet Rebels Gordon. Only 630 bottles of the special one-time-only release will be coming to the States, so it's a release and an event you won't want to miss. Nicknean Organic Single Malt is currently on its way to specialty retailers across the U.S. For more information and questions on where to buy, please contact the Impex Beverages office at office at impexbev.com and follow on social media to never miss a release. The Whiskey Ring Podcast is proudly sponsored by Impex Beverages. I want to, with that, uh, bring in a, a familiar story, an unfortunately familiar story, but one that we've seen a lot that you, you've talked about in other interviews as well, which is, as we've noted, your team is is currently all female. Um, mm-hmm. I promise we will get to them too, but that basically women in the industry don't get calls back. Oh yeah, and and that then the husband, male partner, whoever else uh, calls instead, and they get a call back or an email back within twenty four hours. Mm-hmm. And as much as we can put aside the obvious, just prima facie wrongness of this situation, we know it happens a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, how did it affect you when you first started making those calls, and how does it affect you now? And that happens. Yeah. When I first started making the call, um, the imposter syndrome, it was out in full force, full force. You know, it was, it was confusing to me as to why I wasn't getting a call back. And it was across the board. It was um, because we source and we um, contract still, we often, you know, we need warehousing. And while we were working through our permitting, we needed different spaces to be able to store our liquid. And um, and I could not get anyone to call me back. I, you know, I call and I say what I'm doing. I say who I am. I say, you know, they don't call me back. If I email, they don't call me back. I couldn't get emails back about glass. I couldn't get emails back about um, labels. I. I was looking for a marketing and branding firm. I could not get a call back because they would ask, what are you trying to do? And what are you trying to do? And I would say, I'm opening a spirits company where we're focused on whiskey. And they're like, oh, you are? Yeah. yeah. Me. And so it was really frustrating because it, it was, I was trying to make forward progress and I couldn't get anyone to call me back. Um, and then I asked my husband to do it. 
because I had heard um, listening to people's podcasts, listening to, I listen to a ton of podcasts um, and read a lot of interviews. And there is a, um, and we won't name names, but there is a wine company that said publicly, we created a fake email address because it was two women founders and we created a fake email address with a man's name. And that's how we ended up getting the supplies we needed to start our business. And they're a national business now. They are in, in national distribution. Um, and I thought, no way, no way. And then I listened to another podcast and, and a female spirits founder said, you know, I couldn't get a call back. I had my husband email and the VP called him back, didn't even email him back, called him back and invited him out for a round of golf. No way. Like, I, I just couldn't believe that that was happening. And then, and then I asked my husband to send the emails and he, in fact, I was looking for storage and I reached out to someone and said, this person recommended that I reach out to you. It is for short-term storage of X number of barrels. Um, and then longer term storage of X number of barrels. And it wasn't an insignificant amount. It wasn't like three barrels. And they didn't respond at all. He reached out. He also got the VP of sales to call him back. So it was incredibly frustrating at the very beginning because I was trying to move forward not in an industry in, with, with a product that I love. And in an industry that I found so exciting to just get, you know, bludgeoned on both sides and not be able to make any forward progress when he would get a call back in 24 hours. And he's the, he's a co-founder, but he's, he has a day job. This is, this is my full-time job and he, he, this is not what he does. So it was incredibly frustrating. And then the more women that I spoke to, I worked, I was fortunate enough to be in the Our Whiskey Foundation a mentorship program, which is based out of the UK. So anybody, any women who are interested in getting into um, the spirits industry, I highly recommend that you check them out. Um, and I was paired with a COO of a company in the United States, a craft distiller in the, in the United States. And I was also talking to all of those women and it is not a me problem. It had nothing to do with me because 50 other women in my class from around the world were experiencing the exact same thing. So unfortunately, it is um, once once that visibility was there, I then realized it's not a me problem, right? That imposter syndrome was no longer, it, it wasn't about me. I wasn't doing something wrong. I wasn't asking right. the wrong question. I didn't sound like a moron. It was, in fact, I just didn't have any respect to be able to move forward. And what I tell people now when they say, you know, well, then how did you get here if nobody would call you back is I did use my husband. I used him to call people and then I moved forward from it. And then I also recognized that it wasn't, this isn't a me problem. This is a you problem. And that to keep asking questions and to keep going and finding those individuals who are willing to be mentors, who are in the industry and um, excited about a new opportunity with a small brand, who are excited about a new opportunity for someone who's bringing something a little bit different. And then you find the right vendors who are interested in working with you and also give you the grace to learn, right? Because I'm 
brand new. I'm not Brown Foreman. I'm not Heaven Hill. I'm not LVMH or, or Bacardi. I don't have a whole supply chain team to be able to go source at different, you know, things, but now I just say, keep going and find the people who will, who will talk to you and who will work with you and who will mentor you and help you and some people to commiserate with you. Um, so that's really how I found it at the beginning. And then that is how I'm continuing to move forward now is recognize. And, and I say this to all the individuals who are getting in, whether they're women, whether they're people of color, whether they're BIPOC individuals, it you will find the right people who want to work with you. It really is so just stupid. It's so <laughs> I mean, stupid. You're not wrong. And it, it goes, I mean, of course, we're talking about it, this in the business side, but it just goes, I mean, I found it myself where, where uh, my wife would call, let's say the internet company and mm-hmm. have like a two hour conversation. They won't help her. They keep pushing around from place to place and all this and nothing happens. And then I call and I had this happen where literally within 10 minutes, the project, the problem was fixed. Yep. And she's sitting right next to me. And she's like, I didn't say anything different than you said. I said, I know. I I can't explain it other than they're mm-hmm. assholes, um, <laughs> frankly. But, you know, yep. Uh, like that's yeah. that's just kind of how it goes, which which sucks and it's horrible. But I appreciate the fact you're saying, you know, you just gotta there are there are companies, there are people, there are brands who will uh not react that way. And even if they're in the minority, mm-hmm. it then you know reach out to someone like you who's gone through the process already and you could say well you know this person did give me a call back and this company does supply me and then Mm -hmm. in kind of a roundabout way those companies will get more business and be more recognized for you know just simply Mm -hmm. doing the right thing and treating customers equally um so Mm -hmm. yeah so finding those connections building the connections between um Mm -hmm. urban women whiskey women uh, and, uh, for what it's worth, I also think there's absolutely nothing wrong with calling in a, calling in the husband once in a while to <laughs> say like, you know, can you just, I mean, you gotta do what you gotta do. Right. Exactly. That's yeah. the thing. Like I, we love it not to happen. We want in an ideal world, mm-hmm. you never have to, but if it gets the conversation but, going. Yeah. And yeah. I think that everybody needs to recognize their, um, implicit bias as well. I was, I was speaking to a. Um, well, first going back, it's not industry specific, right? It is not just in spirit, yeah, yeah, not at all. but I was, I was speaking to a individual who is interested in getting into a, a niche portion in the spirits industry. And she was talking to me and she said that it was a woman. So, so we all have to check our implicit bias. We all have to look within ourselves because she said to me, she said, yeah, I'm really interested in whiskey and I'm interested in going on the bourbon trail and going down there. She's like, and I go down and the only people, she's a single, a single woman. She's like, I'd like to go with my girlfriends, but the only people I see going down there are men's groups. And then a husband with his wife, just dragging his wife around. And I said, I said, well, I, I do want to challenge you on that because if someone saw me and my husband." in a distillery in the middle of Kentucky, would they think the exact same thing? Right? 
I'm the CEO of a of a spirit company, and my primary focus is whiskey. So, would you think that the, you have to look at your own implicit bias? Standing in a convention center at a spirits conference, if I stand next, I don't go into there with my husband anymore. He and I used to have a great time going in. He'd like follow me around. I'm like, I need to talk to so and so and so and so and so and so, and I need this. And I would go in, and I would ask them a question they would then ask, answer to him and speak directly to him. And then they would ask him a question and he would say, I don't know why you're asking. He's like, that's great, but you need to be talking to her. She's the CEO of the company. So we don't even go in there together anymore. So it it is something that I think we all need to recognize our own internal bias and and recognize that it does need to change but we need to be aware, right? We need to be aware. And it's it is across industry, it, or industries. It is in the internet company. It, it, it was in medicine. I, this is not something that is brand new to me as a woman who's working. And so my husband and you, and like a lot of men are like, I can't believe this is happening. And the women, and the women are then saying, this is happening across the board. I, you know, I, before I went to, to get my graduate degree for medicine, um, I was working as an, I started, my first major was engineering and, um, I switched over to physiology when I was in college, but I had done a couple internships in, um, auto engineering in Michigan. So the, the big three, and I took my car in because the radio quit working and it was a brand new car and the amount of condescension I got in that dealership was absolutely crazy. So it's across industries and we just need to check ourselves and make sure that we are recognizing it. Yeah, it is going on. How can we change that? How can we approach things differently? How can we tell other people it's not you, it is others implicit bias, it is others um, internal dialogue and you just need to keep going. You just need to keep pushing forward as, as brutal as it is because you'll get to where you need to go. And it, while it was said implicitly in, in, in what you were saying, it, it's worth pulling out too that it's, yes, it's a terrible game. It's a millennia's old game. It's uh, a mm-hmm. predominant game. But the only way to fix it and move forward is to be part of that game. So sometimes you got to play it you got to be in the mm-hmm. game to do it. And that's the only place that you're going to be able to start changing some of the rules and the paradigms. So it's uh, like we've said, we, we would love for this not to be the case. We would love to never have to call on the husband to, or make a fake mm-hmm. email address to do this. Mm-hmm. But I think being realistic and, and looking at it and say, look, if this is what I have to do, at least certainly, at least mm-hmm. for the first couple of steps, then mm-hmm. okay, gonna do it, and then turn turn around and say, you know what, you've been dealing with a woman this whole time, and uh, surprise, business hasn't burned down. So, like, yeah. you know, you can trust us that we're we actually <laughs> do know going. what we're doing. Yeah, and um, and yeah, I the, think the talking about it, bias having these conversations, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly, yeah, implicit yeah. bias, and having these conversations because if I wouldn't have heard those women talk about it, mm-hmm. and then also talk about it with the mentorship program 
coming from an, another industry, even though I experienced it somewhat there as well, I, I don't think if, if you don't talk about, we, we don't know that it's necessarily not just us, right? So yep. it's important that we have these conversations and that people know that, that it's happening. So you can check your implicit bias. You can check your overt bias. You can check your, you know, intent continuing to move forward. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, so we're finally going to ask you the question about your team, which right mm -hmm. now is three people officially, um, even though officially, your husband's, yeah. a, your husband's a co-founder. So fourth there, but three officially we've got you uh, at the top as a CEO, then mm -hmm. Kate um, Keister as the Kate Keister. Yep. Okay. I wasn't sure it was Keister, Keister, but Keister, Kate yep. Keister as the, uh, you know, warehouse management blender, helping you out with that and then um kate i have it here arbor arbor thank you yep mm -hmm. and then kate arbor uh managing operations supply chain all those kinds of things so uh if you if someone were to visit highline spirits website the people is i mean number one it's right at the top our people uh, they're featured in photos around the products and their pages devoted just to them. So people is a big part of the business. As you already said, it wasn't necessarily your intention to create a female only team, mm -hmm. but it, it, that's just kind of how it happened. Uh, finding the best person mm -hmm. for the job. They, the two Kates, as I promise, it's affectionately calling them and not diminutively. Yeah. Uh, two Kates are, they happen to be the best people for the job. And so you have mm -hmm. both of them there. Uh, I'm curious the process to finding both of them and bringing them on board. Kate Keister um, is, so she is in our warehouse. She is, um, she helps man the warehouse. She helps manage the inventory. She helps um, do all the blending with me. Um, she and I are the ones that dump the barrels and and proof them and and manage the 10 barrel batches it's it's her and i and um i'm very lucky to know her um i had known her before and she is is somebody that has managed other inventories at other warehouses and so i knew her work ethic and i knew her ability to problem solve as a brand new business and as a startup and as um as i was getting going i needed somebody who was knowledgeable in managing but also flexible in um in doing things in a slightly different way right in a existing business in an existing warehouse in an existing um supply chain situation you're implementing things that are already in place and so I needed someone who had the same mindset of me in recognizing that everything is figure outable. Everything is. We may need to do it in a slightly different way um, because we do not have a, a giant dump station that we can roll six barrels over, dump, pump, put into a tank. Um, you know, we are we have a secondhand blending tank that we purchased through an ADI forum. And it didn't work when we got it here. And so 
the ability to be able to problem solve in those situations, I needed someone who was continually curious and someone who was continually taking the approach that everything was figure outable and that every day is going to be slightly different. There are days that we're going to need to reorganize the warehouse in order to take in 30 new barrels. And there are days that we are fixing a stupid labeling machine because it is putting our labeler on our bottle crooked and we need to figure that out. So, so really I looked at people who had a growth mindset and she, because I knew her and I trusted her and we had that dialogue, that's where we landed. And, and I was very fortunate to have her come on board. Um, in order to find our director of operations, I was looking for somebody who had the same growth mindset, um, the same tenacity that I did in order to um, drive the business forward, but also recognize that we're still figuring things out. Um, and I needed somebody with a varied skill set because as a team of three, we all are doing all the things, right? I, my director of operations is also general contracting. She's also a general contractor. She worked at a construction firm in between her 25 years of hospitality. She's doing the general contracting to open our second location. And so when I look for people, and, and that's, it's going to be true as we continue to go forward. I'm looking for people who are curious, who are of growth mindset who are excited about learning new things and taking on new challenges. And that's really how I, it's making sure that they did those things in this environment. And then with um, your Kate with supply chain as well, same. Mm -hmm. Did you know her beforehand too? I'm sorry if you just said, that. I think I, I, I may have missed it. Yeah. So, so Kate um, Arbor, our director of operations, Arbor. She, yeah, Kate Arbor. So she, um, she, I did, I, I've known her actually since high school. So I've known her for a very long time. We, um, we, we always knew what each other were doing as we, she's, she's a year older than I am, but we always knew what we were doing as we went out into the world, but we didn't really keep in touch. Um, she has she has 25 years of hospitality experience and she um is very very knowledgeable in the space of spirits in the space of bars in the space of um operations as far as if this then that um like i referenced she did have um an experience being a general contractor for a large construction firm um and so when i looked at starting, I knew I was starting Highline Spirits, and I knew that I was going to be primarily focused on whiskey. Um, I knew the background that I had in district. I understood distribution. I understood the regulations. I understood um, getting into restaurants and retail. I understood those things, um, and she's lived those things. And so that is really where um, I started talking to her. She had moved back to our to Dexter. Um, when I went to her saying, I think I don't want to do this distribution. I think I want to open a tasting room in an environment to welcome people in, to be able to give back to the community, to employ other Michiganders in a different way. Um, what does this look like to you? Does this look right? 
And so I started kind of seeing things back and forth with her um, as far as the local growth. And that is really where she and I click. And, and we have a very open conversation. She tells me I'm crazy all the time. Um, and, and vice versa, but it is, it, it is, um, a very great working relationship. I mean, it, I think we'll leave that part of that. That's fantastic. It's, it's good to, it's kind of crazy that you knew these people before once since high school, since yeah, high school. I mean, this is. Mm-hmm. I want to say it's unusual, but it's honestly not. The, the, that's the funny thing is you as I talk to more and more people in the industry, it's like, oh yeah, I happen to go to this person's high school or went with college with this person or I've known them since we were kids. And um there's always weird coincidences like that. And mm-hmm. people just come back together at the right point and they find the person right. they're supposed to be working with. So right. Yes. It's, it's more it's, common, it is. but it's also cool. Yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, when we, when you go into the workforce, um, I didn't, when I practiced medicine, work with anybody that I really knew, um, but they become your chosen family almost mm-hmm. because you go through so many things together and having additional conversations with Kate and Kate and um, building the business and moving forward within the business and having open, honest dialogue with them, it, I, I really think that that is a change maker. It, it is making sure that that you're not drinking, like I said before, you're not drinking your own Kool-Aid. And you have people who are around you who push you and say, why shouldn't we do X, Y, and Z? Or I'm really concerned about doing A, B, and C. Um, and, and having honest conversations around it. So and and their ideas are their ideas are implemented within the company as well because again i i truly believe that if you think you're the st- smartest person in the room then you need to leave like you need it, it, you shouldn't be there anymore um you need to surround yourself with people who make you better who have different I- ideas who bring in different perspectives and experiences um who challenge you and push you and and vice versa so those, cool. those women do that. Wonderful. Good to hear. And I, I like that. And I second, if you're in the people, are, people should be the average of the people around them. If you're the mm-hmm. smartest person, you're not the average of the people around you. So yeah, no, totally agreed. So going into the business right now, as we're speaking, mm-hmm. you've already got 4,000 barrels in stock. Got, mm-hmm. uh, production schedule. So I'm guessing, you know, contracts and, and sourcing contracts for at least 3,500 barrels per yeah. year going forward. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and these, the 4,000 barrels you've got in stock, this is everything from new make to 10 year old whiskey. Mm-hmm. Uh, so right. obviously big range in not only age, but uh, price for these kinds of product. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have to ask, I'm curious. I'm always curious about this when someone starts up, uh, where the financing came from to secure 4,000 barrels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a variety of, we are self-funded and then we also are working with the Michigan Economic Development Consortium and we are working with the Small Business Association. And so um, there are, we, we front-loaded a lot 
of the capital um, and uh, independently. And then we also are working with loans. So that is that is how we're we're working forward and moving forward. And then we're also trying to make as much money as we can to continue to move forward. That makes sense. It's it's more it's less a kind of investigative question and more just like it's it's hard to acquire barrels right now. As you said earlier in the mm-hmm. in the interview, let's try that again. As you said earlier in the interview, uh you're if you go to a sor- a place where either you're sourcing from or your contract is selling at, uh, mm-hmm. just based on size, realistically, you're not going to be the front of the line. Um, no. Same thing goes for getting barrels. You know, if you're buying ten mm-hmm. barrels versus buying ten thousand barrels, the ten thousand barrel order gets pulled first. Um, so yeah. I am always curious where where it comes from, and and sometimes it's self funding combination. Um, once in a while, you get the VC backed ones and those i'm always a little mm-hmm. suspicious of but uh it also sounds like because of the financing that you've built out you have mm-hmm. a large amount of control over that financing so it's as i said you mm-hmm. need to make the money back as much as you can but yeah it's, you're also really only beholden to yourself and to the banking institutions from which you got a loan there's no other mm-hmm. stakeholder that you have to kind of satisfy in the meantime yeah yeah and and it is going back to your um like how do you get the barrels and then and then the secondary is how do you get the funding is is the is you continue to ask as far as the barrels go and you continue to speak it out and you continue to have conversations and you build relationships with people who aren't massive who aren't looking for the 10,000 barrel contract um, who are willing to, you know, plug you in to the hundred barrel, to the 200 barrel, to the 300 barrel slot. Um, And those, those producers exist if you can get in, if you can get in the door. And so um, there was, there is an existing brand, and I and I won't mention any names, with the that is a very long-standing legacy brand. And I went on a tour after we decided to start the company, and um, and I said something during the tasting, and the the woman who was leading the tasting, she said, "You know a lot about whiskey," just by something I had said, and and my husband said, "Cause he's my biggest cheerleader, and." probably should be in charge of all my PR and marketing is like, Oh yeah, she's starting. Da, 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 da. I'm like, right. And just goes into all the things. And she goes, Oh, our, our founder and CEO is here. Would you like to meet him? And this gentleman, this older gentleman came down and, and he said, I'm really excited for you. We talked for a half an hour. I'm really excited for you. What are you finding as the biggest challenges? And I said, you know, I can, I can buy barrels from brokers because they they just want to sell the barrels, right? They just I can get samples and buy barrels from brokers, but I would really like to be able to build a relationship with these very very talented master distillers who are willing to sell me a lot, you know, one run of liquid. We can work have a working relationship. Um, maybe eventually we can change the mash bill. Blah blah blah. And he said, "I'm really excited for you." And then he called someone. He called someone and, and made an introduction and we're still working with those people today. And so um, I think that 
a little kindness and it was no skin off his back, right? He had a 30 minute conversation with an up and comer, made a three minute call. And I went in and, and I built a relationship and I maintained the relationship. And I, you know, I obviously was able to close that deal, but, um, but it's, it's really great. The industry does really have that collegial, um, side of it too. Like, despite all the things that we had talked about before, there is opportunity to do that. Um, but yeah, other, when it comes back to the second point is how do you actually, you know, I, I am beholden to no one, which was really important to us as well. Um, it's important that we continue to build a brand authentically and honestly. And when you have too many cooks in the kitchen, sometimes those lines get blurred. And so as we continue to get going right now, it's just me. It's just us. It's just a husband-wife team. And before I ask the uh, the last question, which is where do you go from now? Uh, I want mm-hmm. to just shout out a couple of things. So number one, I want to shout out Ari Sussman at Mammoth who and many other projects yeah. that um, introduced us kind of point unseen, mm-hmm. uh, which was uh, fun. I mean, it's always fun getting a couple of samples in the mail and being like, oh, this is really nice, but I have no idea who this came from. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, um, so thank you to Ari for introducing us. Um, and yeah, I also wanted to Ari. give a, a shout out to an upcoming, well, it will be passed by the time this episode comes out, but an upcoming for now interview that you're going to be doing uh, with Jack Begwadu, Hood Sommelier. And uh, yep. I, I want to shout it out for one, just because it's going to be happening. So I encourage people to, in this case, watch the rewatch if you haven't watched the live, but also because mm-hmm. um, Jack and I have been talking a lot off air and he recently put up a post that was very relevant. It came out of a conversation that we were having about um, gatekeeping and introductions. And it yep. goes to the point you're just making that we've got room. The industry has room on the producer side. We've got room on the you know Instagram or podcaster side that it's no skin off our backs to make an introduction. If the person mm-hmm. to whom you're getting introduced doesn't want to do business, doesn't want to talk, fine. But you know, you can still make the introduction, and it doesn't mm-hmm. cost anything. It's no. purely an email. It's just a call. And mm-hmm. the more we break down those gates, and instead of becoming gatekeepers, become networkers, we'll yeah. all be the better for it across uh, mm-hmm. industries on both sides of this. Oh, 100%. so. So I very much hope you enjoy that interview with Jack, um, both speaking to listeners and to you, Christy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the last question I have for you is, you know, to close out the turnaround for this business, especially to the extent you've already reached is pretty remarkable. I mean, you, you're talking about, you've been thinking about it for a long time and and reading distilling textbooks and all, and all the learning experience and education Mm -hmm. you went through, but you go on a hike in summer, 2020, and think of the name and you're inspired by that. And, you know, less than three years or just over three years, I should say later, you've got 4,000 barrels. You've got contracts for going forward. You've got uh, soon to be two tasting rooms. You've got four permanent SKUs. You're looking at gin, rum, tequila, other spirits mm-hmm. going forward. Um, is to look at it two ways. Number one is the pace sustainable. And two, are you able to pull back on the throttle at all now that all of this has happened in three years and you're at the point you're at? 
I'm very inspired by continuing to, I see the change that we're making here just locally. I see the change that we're making in um, approachability, accessibility, welcoming, um, broadening the uh, moments that we can have with our community. I don't wanna say consumers, but consumers and community. Um, do I see us, us pulling back the throttle at all? that's not really the way that I roll. Um, Fair enough. You know, I, I really see, I, the intent is to continue to grow the team in a meaningful way, to be able to expand into additional market, to continue to change the face of the spirit, to open the, um, the doors to something that, has been historically a very male dominated spirit, a very white male dominated spirit into an opportunity to go out to dinner in a few years and not have that gram automatically be put in front of whatever man I'm sitting with. I really, really am hoping to make that change. I'm hoping to make it approachable. I'm hoping to continue the curiosity. Um, and so Right now we're online, we're available online and we're only in Michigan um, in, in distribution, but I really, really hope to continue to accelerate moving forward to be able to capture, you know, as many people that would like to be in the whiskey community that, that we can. So am I going to throttle back? Mm -hmm. Probably not. Fair enough. Fair enough. And I should mention you are in Michigan, but you're also um, Highline products are also available on my store now. So you can, they are. Yes, they are. So people can go to the store and uh, there's of course links for that in the show notes. So you can go right there mm -hmm. and order um, all, I think all of the SKUs. If not, I will fix that and should be all the SKUs. Yep. So mm -hmm. with that, um, Christy, thank you so much for taking the time for um, allowing me yeah, to taste these you. products. Uh, for meeting up with me mm -hmm. in New York City when you were here. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, it's been a pleasure talking to you today. It's been really great to see you again. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Hang on for me with just a second after I close recording. So as always, folks, uh, if you like what you hear, go ahead, like, subscribe, um, support on Patreon. There are currently two spots available left in that top tier on Patreon where you get to help with barrel picks. You also get samples of uh, what I get each month. So you can taste what I'm tasting. Um, go to patreon.com slash whiskey in my wedding ring. There's also a link for that in the show notes. So make sure you don't miss out on those last two spots before it closes. There will never be more spots available. So you're going to have to, it's going to be like a professorship. You got to kind of wait for someone to drop out otherwise. So, and that's putting it gently. Uh, in the meantime, thank you again, Christy, and we'll see you next week. Hey folks, thanks for listening to another episode of the Whiskering Podcast. If you like what you hear, please go ahead and click that subscribe, follow, or like button. Leave a rating review on your podcast app of choice, and let me know what you want to hear. You can reach out to me through the podcast apps, or email me at david at whiskeymywedderingcom with any suggestions or ideas for new show guests. You can also support the podcast at patreon.com slash whiskeyinmywedderingring, that's whiskey with an E, for as little as a dollar a month. $5 a month gets you access to bonus content, including our soon-to-resume Under the Influencer series, 
and $25 a month means you join the Barrel Share Club. Each month, Barrel Share Club members get to try products sent to me for review, bottles from my own collection, and sometimes bottles that I just pick up because they're fun or interesting. Right now, only five spots remain in the Barrel Share Club, so grab your place today. Finally, please follow on Instagram. You can follow me at WhiskeyMyWeddingRing or at WhiskeyRingPodcast. You can follow me on Twitter at WhiskeyRing. You can follow on Facebook at WhiskeyMyWeddingRing or join the Facebook group, the Whiskey Ringers group. And I hope to see you there. Cheers. Thank you for the support and see you next time.